1: From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, we're here out in Providence Park again recording. It's a beautiful day in Portland, actually, uh, if you want to get into weather made in Portland. But uh, um, coming off a pretty, I, I think, overall successful weekend for, for Portland soccer. Um, how are you feeling, Richard, uh, after okay. after this weekend and into a big week, too, this week?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You asked how I'm feeling. I immediately just started thinking about myself, not even thinking about the soccer. I'm like, I'm a little tired from the World Cup. Thanks <laughs> for asking. I don't think if you're a Portland soccer fan, at least a professional soccer fan, you can be anything but very happy after the weekend. Yeah. Uh, one of the most impressive performances of the year for the Thorns, get a day off. Really one of the most impressive performances of the year by the Timbers too. Absolutely. And I think uh, it gives us a great starting point to talk about that one, one draw Sunday in Atlanta.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, clearly hey, the, the week you stopped deciding to have predictions. I, I, I don't look that smart. I'm trying to roll mine out. Um, yeah, clearly, I, 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 and I think with both of us talking about last week, I, I don't think this is what either of us really expected. Um, at least me, we, we can tell that from my prediction of a 2-0 loss uh, that the Timbers were supposedly going to get going into Atlanta. Um, instead, they walk away with the 1-1 draw and, and really, I, I think, put in a smart, um, well, we'll get into it more of it a smart, savvy performance in terms of the, the game plan they had at, on the road against the best team in MLS.
0: Definitely thought I definitely thought they were going to have to play more like they did against NYCFC, mm-hmm. and we definitely saw that. Yes. Uh, my side bet was Atlanta takes twice as many shots at the it's Timbers. Close. It was close. Um, the Timbers just kept shooting the ball. I don't know why they didn't <laughs> respect my wishes on that. But I think that leads to maybe the key point, the fact that they were constantly dangerous throughout this one. I, they really took advantage of the way that Atlanta likes to play, and there's just so much to talk to about that that we should probably – Let's assess the predictions from last week and then let's start getting into it because yeah. there's so much from it. You, I'm so happy I get to give out the points this week. <laughs> so you said a 2-1 to one at loss, Atlanta beating the Timbers, which was a totally reasonable prediction based on what we've seen from Atlanta. Um, you know, the Timbers, I think we knew were resilient, but most teams in the league, I think, would go there expecting to lose. I don't think that really captured the spirit <laughs> of the game that well. Uh, it got the number of goals right, just not the distribution. But even then, this game played more like a game that could have been 3-3 than the 1-1 that it was. So I'm going to have to give you 0.2 points. Oh, wow. I think that you you go into these predictions with a good heart. And I want to acknowledge <laughs> You're gonna that.
1: You're going to give me some brownie points. <laughs> yeah, you didn't
0: just toss this away. You, you thought about it. You, you made a prediction in good faith. It was a good prediction in theory. I'm not going to give you a lot of points, but I want to at least between us on a personal level acknowledge that i respect the effort that you put into that <laughs> now me atlanta takes twice as many shots as the timbers it actually did come pretty close to being true i think the final shot total was 20 to 12 well, yeah so i'm gonna give myself 0.8 points right. because it i would give myself more for being accurate except for it was a pretty weak side bed and as we talked about on the show i kind of respect going for the fences <laughs> a little bit more that seemed pretty safe since uh I think it was I don't want to say it was a reasonable bet on my part that the Timbers would be willing to cede possession, but we have seen that do them do that before. So, I think part of that prediction was the Timbers changed their formation again. It was their fifth formation of the year. They went to a 5-3-2 setup. What did you think of that decision and what did you think about how that played out?
1: Yeah, I I think we're just we're learning this year a lot about obviously Giovanni Savarese seeing him for the first time coaching at the MLS level and his decisions with formations and game plans are just proving to be so, so smart. He he just knows what he needs to do with his team to get the best, um, the best, what he needs against every opponent. We saw it against NYCFC. We talked a lot about that game and how impressive it was that the Timbers were able to roll out a game plan and a system that worked uh, effectively against NYCFC. Obviously they sort of concede possession again, but it's a little bit of a different Um, formation with with the five back. And I I just think it it was a smart idea. I I think it gives, it makes it hard for other teams predict what the Timbers are going to do. And and it puts a little wrinkle in the system and for every game. And it just makes the Timbers that flexibility, that, that ability to not be predictable puts them in, a, I think, a really good position to to get results, to, to win games or, or at least pick up points on the road. And um, yeah, I, I thought it played out really well. I, I think the Timbers are, you know, incredibly dangerous on the counterattack. We saw that, uh, particularly in the first half, the opportunities they were able to create. They are, our team that knows how to adjust to the game plan they need to do per every game. And they're able to absorb pressure if that's what they need to do. Like they did in this game and hit a team on counter and still find opportunities. I mean, I think we'll get into it a little bit, but it wasn't like, even though Atlanta, I think had roughly 70% possession in the game. It wasn't like they had all the opportunities. The Timbers had plenty of opportunities to score as well because they found a way to, despite conceding that possession, making the most of the chances they did have. So I thought it was really smart. I, I thought it, it, it's just another sign to me that that Savarese really knows what he's doing and knows how to get the best out of his team.
0: 70% of possession, 60-65% of the shots, but I would say 50-55% to 55% of yeah. the chances, which for the Timbers, you're going on the road against one of the top two or three teams in the league in an environment that you've never played in before. I think that's a very good performance, and I agree with everything you said. So I think the way to extend this conversation is just to address some of the things that the fans have brought up. Let's talk about Drew's question. Is the 5-3-2 going to be a regular thing on the road? At this point, I'm wondering if any formation will yeah, be a regular exactly. thing. I think we can say the 4 has been a regular thing. They went into the season probably planning for the 4 2, 3 one to be a regular thing. But, and this is something that I, I'm almost sick of myself for harping on so much over the last two days. The depth of the team, the variety of depth in the team, and the mentality of the group tells me that there is no set way that this team is going to play. There's just going to be a set mentality. So I don't know what the regular formation is going to be.
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, I think we'll probably continue seeing the 4-3-2-1. We've seen that most regularly of any formation this season. But yeah, I think Sovereignty makes his decision based on which personality he thinks are best fit for the game, who's available, and the opponent. And that's changing every single game. It Like you said, the fact that the players are bought in and are doing a good job to adjust to these changes is what's really important. So I I maybe, I I mean, I expect we'll see that formation again at some point. It's definitely a weapon the Timbers show that they can use effectively. And so it's kind of another option for Savarese going forward. But no, we've seen different formations on the road um, and they've been effective as well. So I I don't think, uh, like you said, I agree with you. I don't think there is a regular formation.
0: And I think when you look at five, three, two on a paper, you think of something that is a little bit more defensively inclined. And I think that's fair. That's obviously a goal of why you want to introduce a third center back to your scheme. But the way that Alvis Powell was playing, where at times he would actually be the third person into attack or the third highest person, and the way that Sebastian Blanco was getting out of that middle three to become that connecting force between the rest of the midfielders and the two forwards, Diego Valeri and Samuel Armenteros... I think you have to recognize that this formation wasn't purely set up to defend. And in that way, it showed all the attributes that we've been seeing from all of Giovanni Sabarese's teams. And I kind of want to bring this up because on Twitter and on the Timbers Facebook, I did see fans reacting to this game the same way that they reacted to the NYCFC game. A minority of fans, I will say that, a minority some fans don't seem to like the fact that the Timbers gave up the ball in the game, didn't fight for the ball, waited for Atlanta to, their, their shape to compromise themselves, then win the ball on counter. Do we need, you, people like you and me, do we need to do a better job of explaining to people the virtues of the approach that we've seen in those two games? Because I still sense out there, there are people that think that that's a weak or an unattractive or an undesirable way to approach a game.
1: Yeah, I, I think... I mean, I feel like we've tried to explain it and maybe we can always do better as, you know, the, the sports media out there um, trying to give this information um, clearly to the fans. But at the same time, I, I think it, it is, you know, it's a big change from the, the previous years. There, there were times that the Timbers would try to be a counter-attacking team, would play a little bit more defensively under Caleb Porter. But when Caleb Porter originally came in, possession um, what was a huge was a huge thing he emphasized and being being on the front put being an attacking team and those are similar things that Sovarès he said he liked in his teams and then we see maybe that not playing out in the games. I still think that I would like to see it against some weaker teams, maybe the Timbers being able to put in more dominant performances. I, that's still something I I think I could see more of from this team. But yeah, it, when they go out against a, a team, one of the best team in MLS on the road, they know they're going to face an opponent attack and they need a game plan to get a result. You can't fault them for doing what makes the most sense, and even if it's not maybe the type of football that we've been used to in, in past years or at certain times. The Timbers are doing what they need to do to get points right now. And, and I think just the ability of them to make those adjustments is, is it's really impressive to watch.
0: We've talked about the Timbers on a team level. We've talked a little bit about how both teams on Sunday could have scored a lot more goals. I'm interested in talking about individuals because even after the game, when I was trying to think of who were the players that were key in leading to this result, I had a little bit of a problem because it did seem like a very much of a team effort. But a couple of people that really stood out to me, Larry Smabiala, Alvis Powell, And to a lesser extent, I think Jeff Atanella, not that I think Jeff was bad, but I think people are going to look at the nine saves and think he had to be remarkable, but I thought they were shots that the Timbers, if they had to give up shots, a lot of them, they would have been okay giving those up, but who stood out to you individually because I just don't think we could have looked at Sunday's performance and just say, oh, that person was the key to why this happened.
1: Yeah, um, I I kind of had similar people as well. We didn't even have Alvis Powell in our mental notes, and that was someone I wanted to mention. I think we've talked about on the show in the past, you know, the the frustrating aspect of Alvis Powell. When he's good, he's very, very good. And if he can bring that consistency, he can be the best right back in MLS. Um, but his ability to get forward when he's on his game and sort of contributing the attack as well as be a fairly consistent defender is, is something is a real weapon to the Timbers when he's playing well. And it worked very well in this formation, as you kind of alluded to earlier with his ability to, to get up in, in moments and add into that attack. Um, I mean, I I think Jeff Adenella, even if maybe the saves he, he made, Weren't the most spectacular saves he's ever made. I, I think this he deserves the credit he's getting. Maybe not Absolutely. for this game in particular on its own, but I don't think he's been getting enough credit for what he's been doing. I, I think it, what is it, ten games unbeaten when he's in the net or, or the Timber something like that? Um, could be wrong, but dating back to last season, he has yeah. a pretty great record with um, with since he's kind of taken over the starting role. And, and while I think there's this memory of some very inconsistent moments early, maybe in the middle of last year when he got his few first starts. That hasn't been the case really this year. And I think he has really grown into this role. And whereas in the beginning of the season, we we were talking about, man, the Timbers are really going to need to pick up a goalkeeper in the summer transfer window if they don't get one before the season. Now you look at the performances Adanel is putting in and you say, maybe that doesn't have to be the priority. I, I mean, they could still pick up a goalkeeper if they had extra money lying around. You can improve at, at almost any position when you have extra resources. But but Adonella is doing a fine job. And it, if he's getting credit for the nine saves, then so be it. Because I think he hasn't been getting credit for what he's been doing this year.
0: I I want to back up what you were saying there. I think the feeling in Arizona was that the Timbers, in one hand, were in a very good position because they had two quality goalkeepers, both of whom had an opportunity to step up, uh, Jake Gleason and Jeff Attenella. But I also think there was the acknowledgement that neither of these players had fully established themselves as, no doubt, number one goalkeepers in Major League Soccer. I do think Jeff Attenella is on that path right now, and I think that's a pretty high bar because obviously there can only be 23 number one goalkeepers in major league soccer. But actually when you look around the league, there are less, there are fewer. So I think it's quite the accomplishment, particularly at this point in his career, that Jeff Attenal is going down this path. And, it should be said that not all of the saves on Sunday were just so pedestrian. He had one save that was very reminiscent of the save that he made in San Jose on Vaco when he got down low and went towards the post and saved what could have easily been a goal. I think he had another one of those saves on Sunday. Um, but I wanted to talk now about a couple of injuries from the game. Uh, one to a non-Timbers player yeah. or a former Timbers player. Early in the the second half, Darlington Nagby left with an injury at the time. On the broadcast, it was diagnosed as a hip injury. We have now heard that Darlington Nagby is going to be out two to three months with an adductor strain. Um, I think it was described as a strain, but it's an adductor injury. First, before we get to that, how did you think Darlington played in his first game against his former club?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I, I think... Um, you know, the injury kind of takes away from it a little bit. Um, yeah, it's but... <laughs> actually don't even
0: want to talk about how he played because it seems insignificant Yeah, it now. seems
1: uh, looking at what the injury picked up is it's kind of tough. But, I, I mean, I, I think the Timbers did a pretty good job of limiting him. I, I think he also had, you know, some Darlington moments. But um, you didn't look at it and say, wow, this guy is um, – you, you don't walk away from that game suddenly feel like it was a bad trade because it wasn't like Darlington um, was dominating the Timbers in any way. I, th- I think... Diego Chara and I think the Timbers in general did a pretty good job uh, of handling him in the game.
0: Did you count how many fouls? I forgot to count it, how many it fouls. Diego, I, I
1: mean, it was, I think it was less, two, less, than two, seven. Maybe. <laughs> less than seven. I think I said five for Diego Chara and seven total. That's but, exactly two. I think, um,
0: I think I said it at 1.5 and 3.5 as <laughs> so my I, over unders. I,
1: I think you were much closer, but I, I think I was just overestimating because I, I did feel like Diego Ch- Chara was going to have to play an important role in Nagby, and I, I think he did. I think he did a very good job.
0: But I think it also played out very much like like we talked about that Darlington Nagby has virtues and he has negatives. And I think a a big reason that the Timbers were able to get out on the counter as much as they did is the fact that starting Darlington Nagby as an eight has some negatives. And it was, it's was it been happening all year, but I was really interested that Atlanta continued trying to get Nagby forward in between the lines of the midfielders and the forwards, and leaving Jeff Lorentowitz exposed, and by leaving Jeff Lorentowitz exposed, then leaving the center backs of Atlanta exposed, too. I think Atlanta's going to have to adjust that as this season goes on in order to have a formula that's going to prove viable in the playoffs, but... That's not something that Timbers fans have to worry about until MLS Cup final at the earliest. Uh, the other injury that probably is going to be a little bit more important, or I want to say probably. That makes it sound like it is a serious injury. But uh, Sebastian Blanco left in the second half with what looked like a quad injury. It was pretty much downplayed. I think this is where we mentioned that we're recording this show before Giovanni Savarese's weekly press conference. So we haven't had an opportunity to ask him about that. It doesn't look serious, but I also think this is an opportunity to discuss how important Blanco has yeah. become to this team. He was a very good player in his first year last year. I think he's become indispensable now.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think you look at, and we've talked a little bit about this, you look at the contributions maybe the Timbers are getting from their forwards in, in terms of scoring goals, that those are not the players that are scoring the majority of the goals right now. It's been Blanco and Valeri, and I think... I think Blanco's really been the best player in the attack this season. He can play, he's versatile, but he can play in that 10 role if they need him to. And um, yeah, he's contributing goals and assists at a much higher rate than last year. And I don't see where the Timbers necessarily will get that if he's not on the field. So I I think him being out, which we don't anticipate that, but if that were to happen, um, and we'll get an injury report later, but if that were to happen, I, I think... It, it, it could be a real problem for the Timbers because I, I think there are still some questions in this attack. And, and having a player playing as well as Blanco has, has maybe masked some other areas where it hasn't necessarily been um, what you'd want it to be.
0: Completely agree with you. I think it is noteworthy that now, two games in a row, albeit in two different competitions, they have carved out a tens role alone for yeah. Sebastian Blanco. But we have a lot of stuff on our notes here, so why don't we try to power through some of this? Uh, the first part I want to ask you, how good do you think the Timbers are now? Let me rephrase that. Compared to the other teams in Major League Soccer, where should we be talking about them on that hierarchy?
1: I I, I mean, I, even though they, they get the result at Atlanta, I, I still think you look at maybe a team like Atlanta that is number one um, in MLS and, think and look at them and see them as above the Timbers, just with the way they've been able to score goals and, and give these decisive wins throughout the season, but I I think just the Timbers ability to find a way not to lose, to find a way to pick up points, and their ability to change their game plan and adjust to every opponent, I, I mean they have to be taken seriously. This is a team that could find a way, even I I don't expect them to win this is not a team I expect to win the supporters shield. But it's a team that I expect to get into playoffs at this point. And given their ability to adjust, they are a team that's going to be very dangerous, I think, if they can make it into the postseason. Because I think they're going to be able to write up a game plan for any opponent they face and be capable of getting the win and finding a way to grind out the result.
0: I think that's pretty much all any Major League Soccer fan can ask from their team. That come November, they have a chance to win uh, the trophy. Uh, Let's go ahead and skip down to some... Some previews... Well, some previews. A preview of this weekend's game (laughs) in Seattle. This is a little bit thin because it wasn't so long since the Timbers last faced Seattle here at Providence Park. They won the 100th ever meeting between the two teams. Now they're going to be going up to CenturyLink. Not a ton has actually changed. Seattle is still struggling. The Timbers are improving still. The dynamic is very much the same. If anything, I feel like, as one of the listeners brought up, there's almost as few excuses as ever in the major league era, major league soccer era to not get full points at century
1: league. Yeah. I think this is a very good opportunity for the Timbers to get full points at century. Like they've also never won a game there in the regular season. Um, only the once in the playoffs. This is a difficult place to play. The atmosphere is always a little bit more intense with the Timber sounders rivalry. It always seems to impact the game. Um, just having that rivalry atmosphere. But yeah, I mean, with the way the Sounders have been playing, they haven't been particularly good at dominating any means at home. Um, And with the way the Timbers have been playing and have been able to go on the road uh, to a place like Atlanta and and get a draw, this does seem like a winnable road game for them. Um, So if you take the rivalry aside and the extra emotions that might be involved in that, if you're just looking at this as a regular game on the road, given the, the form of the two teams, I think it is going to be a bit of a disappointment if the Timbers, after going to Atlanta and playing the way they did, can't follow it up with getting a win against a team that's not nearly as good.
0: So for Seattle, some things are a little bit different. They've been stingy with goals all year. Their main problem has been scoring goals. Players like Nicholas Ladero, Victor Rodriguez, Will Bruin, Clint Dempsey, if they weren't involved in the game here at Providence Park, or if they were, um, they could all expect be expected to see more time this coming weekend on Saturday. They've all either gotten starts lately or are fully healthy and can be chosen. So that could be a little bit different, but that leads to my next question. I think in rivalry games, you always have to be wary of whether the past even matters or to the degree a team is willing to step up and meet the occasion. So I wonder what the best version of this Sounders team actually is. If they played to their potential... Could they beat the Timbers? Under what circumstances could they beat the Timbers? Like, how, what is the <laughs> worst the Timbers can play and beat the best version of the Sounders?
1: I I don't have a lot of confidence in the Sounders team. I, I think any team in MLS can beat any other team in MLS. And I, you know, I think we see in the US Open Cup all the time a lower division team can beat an MLS team. Anything can happen. Um, but even with the sounders when they are at full health, I, I'm not I think some of these players you know are getting up in age, like Clint Dempsey, they're not offering what they used to. I'm not sure I look at the the team the sounders are right now and I, I think even in the off season we were talking about why aren't the sounders making more moves why why is this team as they are beginning to age even coming off uh, getting making it to MLS Cup, why aren't they doing more to get better? and i think that's showing this year i don't think they did enough to to get better and i am not sure that they have the personnel to really be all that competitive this year so i think the timbers are just on paper um with their personnel a a significantly better team than the sounders team and we'll see how it plays out with the rivalry game on the road sounders clearly are going to want to win this one um but the Timbers are are the better team and should be able to to get a result against this group.
0: Well, we'll get your prediction later in the show. <laughs> we can keep talking about this, but it's just going to be the same note over and over yeah, again. Exactly. Timber's good. Sounders bad. <laughs> Portland should win this one. I have a lot of user questions that i I like this dynamic that I have right now of peppering Jamie with questions. So I want to get to a couple of the user questions before we welcome in Mike Donovan, who's going to be joining soccer made in Portland for the first time ever. And we'll talk to him about some Seattle Portland stats. We'll talk to him about his backstory. We'll talk to him about this weekend's game. Uh, First, like I said, we haven't talked to Giovanni Sabarese yet about injuries. So let me just go through the ones that we know about. We talked about Seba. We don't have an update that on that. Liam Ridgewell was away for the team for personal reasons this weekend, so he wasn't actually injured, but we'll get a status update on that. Nothing much to worry about there. Fernando Adi picked up an injury in training last week. It wasn't described to us as being a serious injury, but again, we'll seek some clarity on that one. Let's go to some listener questions. Uh, let's start with uh, Justin. Justin, time to drop Jake Gleason, either get a star keeper or focus on Macintosh as the backup keeper. So we talked about Jeff Atnella's ascension a little bit, so I don't know that we need to really go beyond that. But Gleason versus Macintosh. Do you have any feelings on that?
1: My I feel as if at this point Macintosh might be deserve the chance um to see if he can develop it into the, the second keeper. Um and You know, he's athletic, he has talent, he's younger, and Gleason is starting to get up there. And it's, um, he. I mean, as a goalkeeper, he is still plenty of years ahead of him, but he hasn't been able to claim that starting job yet. And I think, like we said, I think Adanella has, in that competition, um, proved himself to be the better option. And so I'm not sure that it makes a lot of sense for the Timbers to continue to focus on Gleason. That said... And we saw this when Gleason was the number two a few years ago, and they were giving him either time on loan or or with T2, forgetting which year it was. It doesn't always make sense to have your technical number two goalkeeper be your goalkeeper on the bench. It actually makes a lot of sense if you see maybe McIntosh as being your goalkeeper of the future to get him minutes at T2 rather than have him kind of be this injury replacement. Now, if Adanella were to go down – maybe then you start wondering, should Macintosh be the one that comes in? But at this moment, unless they're going to go out and get a star keeper, in which case, yes, I think you'd have to drop Gleason and then Adonella would move into the backup role. But as we talked about, do they really need to do that at this point? Um, but if you're not going to do that and you just feel like Macintosh is the best option for the future, I think how they're playing it right now actually makes the most sense, having him get minutes at T2.
0: I want to weigh in a little bit on the star keeper thing because we have been hearing it all year and it's a natural question, but I think in terms of cap management, Jeff Atnell is a very efficient yeah. player right now. So I would write that as long as he is this efficient. I would also say regarding Jake Gleason, who knows, but Jake, as you alluded to, is at the age of his career where what he wants to do is going to be a very important part of this. And if he sees that he has less of an avenue towards being a number one here he might have a say in whether he sticks around or not. Who knows how that will happen. Let's go to the next question. Uh, Drew, how will Davi Guzman fit back in the the squad? Let's go ahead and add Andy Polo to this question because as of a few hours ago, well, a few days ago actually, uh, Andy Polo and Peru are also um, fully eliminated. And the reason why I bring that up is because we have consistently seen when players leave the team or are injured and can't play, they're not gifted player, plays back in the eleven, So I don't think we should just assume Andy Polo is going to come back and immediately be gifted the playing time he had before he left for Russia.
1: Yeah, I, I think it depends on the formation to some degree for, for Polo's situation, um, depending what the Timbers want to go with. But I do think he has more of a avenue to come back in. I think that's easier to see, him sort of slotting back in if they're going to go back um, use the four three two one 2 one as their primary formation. I, I can see him just slotting back into where he left off. It might take a few weeks, but I can see that. I For me, Guzman is the more of the real question. I, I think we talked about it, or at least me and Chris talk, have talked about it, but I think the Timbers were maybe looking for Guzman to have a, a good World Cup experience and, and then see if they can move him. I mean, with the way Paredes has, has sort of – developed it so far this year, moved into the starting role. And given that he is someone that they can build around towards the future, it doesn't make any sense to take him out of the lineup. Now I don't see Guzman coming back in and suddenly starting unless maybe they look at, yeah, starting char Guzman and Paredes and make a change on Polo. But I also still think if the option presents itself, the Timbers are still going to be looking to move Guzman if they, if they can whether or not his goal, World Cup uh, performance uh, in Costa Rica's World Cup performance did anything to raise his stock is, I, I think, a lot more questionable.
0: Absolutely. And I think we need to look at what has happened over the last two or three weeks with Lawrence Olam as a sign that if you play well, you are going to get time. Because if you had to rank where Lawrence Olam was in this squad three weeks ago, like low 20s as far as like priority, like barely making game day 18s. And now he he has started, what, four games in a row or something like that between Open Cup and MLS. So if David Guzman comes back and plays well, he is going to play. That's just the rule of this team. If you're playing well, you're going to play. But Diego Chara, Christian Paredes, Andres Flores, Andy Polo, Lawrence Alum. as of this weekend, Bill Tuiloma, Eric Williamson. If there's room on the roster, somebody like Renzo Zambrano could be signed to a first-team contract. There's no lack of depth in central midfield. And while not all of those players are better than David Guzman, on a given week, they could be. David Guzman needs to compete for his time, just the same way that Vitas has had to compete for his time, that everybody has had to compete for their time. So I think that's the real determining factor here. Let's go to one more question. Let's transition to Mike Donovan. Siri asks, what are your thoughts on the All-Star game? Should we care? Do the players care? I've tended to want to keep them home, safe and rested, rather than play
1: yeah, I, I don't think a lot of players take this all that seriously, and I, I think we see that every year as some stars right before the game come up with little knocks here and there that they they can't seem to manage to get out there. Um, I think it's an honor to have players selected to the All-Star Game, but I, I, I found it harder and harder. I, I loved it when it was in Portland. I thought that was a really cool experience, but ever since then, I mean, getting up and interested in these All-Star Games has, has been... Quite a task. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that it's nice having, you know, leagues have all-star games. It might, you know, it's on national TV. It might raise um, the interest in the league a little bit. But from my, I think, fans that actually follow the league on a consistent basis, I don't think it adds all that much.
0: I used to go to the all-star game every year. Uh, As a media person, it was a good networking event. And there, there are people from Europe that come in. There are different sponsors. There are agents. You meet people. It was cool. I haven't gone to one in four years. It's just whatever. I mean, I should try to build it up a little bit more. I would love it if it came back to Portland. It's not going to happen anytime soon. But I can't get excited about it. I just can't imagine a player getting excited about it either. I've never... Well, I have talked to players. The first time they get chosen, it's great. The first time they get chosen to the first 11, spectacular. After that wow, there's a lot of commitments I have to do. I have to do a lot of different photo shoots that do a lot of different interviews. I'm away from my family for three days. Yeah. It's just like an all-star game in other sports.
1: I think, I think the one thing that you mentioned there that I will end on before we move on, but it's just that when it's in your city, I think it is a cool event. The MLS makes it a fun week. Yes. I remember you had the men in blazers. You had a free concert. Um, down down in downtown. <laughs> it, it, there was a lot of really cool things around the All-Star game, and that was a ton of fun and all the festivities here, but outside of uh, outside of your, when it's in your city. Um, I'm sure Atlanta fans will have fun this year, especially since they voted their entire team onto the <laughs> All-Star roster, um, but outside of that, not so much. Um, let's bring in Mike Donovan, a stat man for Timbers.com. We were finally having him, him on the show to give us a little preview update ahead of Seattle, so... Let's bring him now. A little bit before about, about you. You've never been on our show, and that kind of shocks me uh, in all iterations of this.
2: Yeah, it's kind of unbelievable. I've known Michael Orr. I've known Kelly. I've known Rifer. So I do want to say that you two are clearly the best hosts that have ever hosted this show. So, uh, I mean, it's just obvious to me. So I really appreciate the invite, guys. And thanks for having me. <laughs> Wow.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why we wanted to have you on just so you could praise us and and talk about <laughs> you know how much better we are. Um, but I I think all the stuff you've been doing with the timbers and the Statman man um, and just being able to provide all these crazy stats that I wouldn't even think to to look up in my in my wildest dreams has been amazing and um, an awesome aspect of, of timbers coverage in this town. And I, I'm interested first to kind of hear, you know. I guess, how did you sort of get into this? How did you, how did stat? how was Statman born?
2: Yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't have some crazy origin story or anything. <laughs> I, uh, I was the kid who had the basketball cards and the football cards and the baseball cards, and I cared more about the back than the front. Um, I would look over, you know, people's statistics and try to make my own teams based on their box scores and their points per game and things like that. And uh, I've loved sports my whole life. And when I moved out to Portland, uh, my, I moved out here in 2009, uh, which coincided when the Timbers were actually named an MLS team. And the first game I went to was a friendly against Red, Bull, Red Bulls at Merlot field. And I was just hooked. And with the stats, I just, I like looking behind the scenes at games. I like seeing, um, things from a different perspective. And I just like fun things and things that are different. Um, so a lot of my stats are just me thinking, oh, I wonder if this has ever happened. I mean, a lot of my stats are, oh, I wonder when this has happened before, if it, this has ever happened. And so when I started you know, writing about sports, it was just something I had uh, in the back of my mind. So when I you know, was a beat writer in college covering teams or when I first moved out here and I was freelancing, I'd always have in the back of my mind, I wonder if this has happened before and then try to research it.
0: And Mike, I'm interested in something that you just brought up. Tell us a little bit more about your sports journalism background, because I think amongst Timbers and Thorns fans, they think of you as just the stat guy now. But you were actually in a more traditional part of this game before you took on this moniker.
2: Yeah, so I went to school for journalism. I was a sports editor at my college paper, uh, the Collegiate at Carter State Daily Newspaper, um, and then I've worked. You yeah. know, I. In college, I worked for SI.com, Sports Illustrated.com. They had a, a college section, and I worked for them for on campus. I used to cover mid-major teams. Um, and then I've written for – I've had stories picked up by AP when I was in college. And then since then, I've worked for various websites. Uh, I started covering the Timbers in 2011 for uh, at what's now NBC Sports Northwest. It was then Comcast, uh, CSN, and for their website. Uh, and then for a year I did some, uh, stuff for Oregon sports. And then for two years, uh, soccer by eyes. Uh, so pretty well known national soccer website. And then in 2015, uh, the Timbers brought me in to write pieces for them, uh, history pieces and then, uh, previews and recaps, and then also tweet stats. And, uh, I had done a little work for the Timbers prior to that, uh, in off season, uh compiling like all time stats for them, but um in two thousand and fifteen I started two thousand fifteen obviously coinciding with m l s cup so for any teams out there listening when you hire a stat man or a stat woman uh it's guaranteed you'll win the championship in the first <laughs> year, so it's just want to put that out there
0: sounds like you're shopping yourself around I think we've gotta to...
2: no, <laughs> no I'm, I'm not shopping around for me I'm, t- I'm good it's so, the future stat people that oh, I'm so trying like to a get stat stat man jobs. For. Of
0: s- yeah, a stat man, a stat woman, a stat child union out there somewhere that we don't
2: know <laughs> like, about? Well, it's it's in its early stages, currently uh, consisting of one, but we're looking for more members. So,
1: so kind of looking ahead to, to this weekend, obviously, it's a, it's a big rivalry week um, for the Timbers heading up to Seattle. Um, we were talking a little bit before, uh, but before we started talking about some of the stats related to that, but I, I just want to throw it out there, Good. You're you're the stat man. Tell us what we should, some of those things you think we should know heading into this weekend.
2: So I'll give you some stats that I think are pertinent and then I'll give you a stat that means absolutely nothing, <laughs> if that's okay. That so the pertinent perfect. stats are Seattle, Portland, and MLS is almost guaranteed to get goals. Um, since they started playing in MLS, it's the second highest scoring fixture in the entire league. So there's been More goals in games between the two clubs than any other fixture except one. Uh, 63 goals in the games between the two clubs. Only LA and RSL have more. Uh, But it's not just goals to look out for. It's also fouls. Um, The fixture's top six in yellow cards for most yellow cards and then fifth for most fouls. So these games are hard fought. There's lots of fouls. Now, I'm the person with stats. I will present the information. And then I rely on people like you guys to tell me what it means. Um, That's where I come in. I don't claim to think all my stats ever mean have this great meaning uh, or are great for analyzing. I think they might help. Um, But I just try to figure out the numbers and then get them out there for people who are smarter than me to tell me what they mean. Um, But one thing we clearly see is that goals and fouls and yellow cards happen quite frequently in these matchups.
0: Hmm. That's that's really interesting. I feel like you've already given us so much there. But uh, you mentioned that you were going to go into something a little bit more trivial. All that stuff sounds like it actually matters. (laughs) Tell us something that doesn't matter.
2: Okay, so what doesn't matter? So before the last Sounders-Timbers game, I decided to go through and make a database of every Timbers match against the Sounders ever. for Goal scorers, attendance, leagues, dates, all this stuff. And so it's now in my bank of hundreds of, I have hundreds of Google Docs on my computer that I use. And so now I have one that's the 100 games ever. And it includes dates. And one thing I noticed, so Saturday's game is on June 30th, and it will be the fourth time the Timbers and Sounders, Seattle and Portland have played on June 30th, which is the most of any day. So that is a completely useless fact (laughs) for you guys. Uh, There's two days, there's two different dates that I've had three but this will be the first with four so that's a compute, completely useless stat along the lines of the full moon stats that I thought you guys might enjoy I'm <laughs>
0: definitely enjoying that what's the what's the Timbers record in June 30th rivalry games against Seattle
2: so I the reason I looked it up is, is because I knew they had played at least once on June 30th um, and mm-hmm. that was the last time they played on June 30th I was there it was the US Open Cup in 2010 which wasn't a positive result. Um, Ooh, yeah. so they don't necessarily have great history on June 30th, but it's, I think this is the match that they could turn it around. One thing that I noticed, I feel like a lot of times when we talk Portland and Seattle, we obviously talk about how Portland has not had success in Seattle in the regular season when Wait, it comes who to wins and losses. I, I do not talk about that.
1: <laughs> I, I definitely do. <laughs> At least as of January, I
0: don't talk about that anymore.
2: <laughs> hey, you know, and that's one thing it's like, I work for the team and Portland Timbers Obviously, I'm never going to say anything that's just hurtful or wrong, but, I mean, it's just a fact. The Timbers haven't won in Seattle in the regular season. But that being said, I mean, from a non-stat perspective, just watching the games, the last three times they've gone up there, I thought they played very well and could have gotten easily gotten a win in the last three matches they played up there. But overall, the last 11 times these teams have met, all comps, the Timbers have the better record. I mean, the Timbers are 5-4-2 in their last 11 against Seattle, if you can the u.s open cup matches the plus five goal differential like it's pretty consistent over the last few years portland has had the upper hand over seattle you know it started with that the red card wedding and since then it's portland you know when they go to seattle they think they're going to win whereas it wasn't always like that um that i've seen
1: yeah and this is definitely an opportunity um whether the stats say or not, but with where these two teams are, I think you mentioned you might have some stats around the overall uh, unbeaten streak as well. Obviously the Timbers are riding um, (laughs) very different directions. These two teams are going on, but yeah, if there was anything else you wanted to throw out there. Well,
2: I mean, the Timbers have 11 straight unbeaten in competitive matches. I mean, that's the fourth best in team history for a single season and the second best they've had in MLS play since that huge run they had in 2013. So the Timbers are in great form. And the other thing is about the Timbers, um, that 11 straight unbeaten with all comps. I mean, some of these matches on the road, getting a point in Atlanta, like um, SKC at home wasn't the greatest match, but still getting a point against them. I just feel like they are in form, the statue and the amount of players they're playing have really helped them. Their depth, the 10 through 20 guys, I think, is the strongest we've had in MLS. Uh, for the Timbers, and I really think this is the match that will kind of showcase that. Um, National TV, after a World Cup game, I think this is a match that might showcase that talent, and I've already done the research on what will happen if certain results go their way on Saturday, and I'm excited to share those after the
1: game. Great. Um, Well, we're excited to hear uh, that and all all the stats you're going to have for us this season. Um, uh, We always love checking out. Um, your stats on timbers.com thanks so much for coming on it, and hopefully this won't be the last time hopefully we can get some more regular stats from you and uh um you, you'll keep telling us how great we are to be the the first host to finally <laughs> finally recognize that that you deserve to be on the show
2: well i appreciate it and one thing i want to say real quick is I had, you guys know this that if you guys ever need a stat you can reach out to me but anyone who's listening you guys ever or have a question or you want some stat research done just because you're curious just please reach out to me. I'm happy to help if I have time. So if any listeners ever have questions, please tweet me, DM me. My DMs are open. If you ever have any questions, please let me know, and I'm happy to help.
1: Well, now now you're going to probably have a, a, maybe more DMs than you asked for, but ho- hopefully <laughs> a lot of more cool stats.
2: Yeah, it's no worries. I'm happy to help.
1: Well, thanks again to Mike for coming on. I, I can't believe that's his first time on the show, but it's always really fun the stats he comes up with. I, I, I even though he says it's not as important, I love the sort of random stats, the full moons, and the random date stats <laughs> he always seems to have.
0: Did you uh, see the one day on Twitter where he and guy he and I got into a stats versus trivia debate?
1: I, I did not. I, I guess we'll I don't follow your Twitter quite. I, closely.
0: The, you're probably doing it right then. <laughs> But I basically... Uh, it was a really pedantic argument between what is stats and what's just trivia. We can talk about that another time because obviously, as everybody just heard, the work that Mike does is really valuable. The, and he should have been on the show before if it wasn't for some of our predecessors, like Chris Reifer. (laughs) And I almost feel like we shouldn't name this next segment after Chris after he was so disrespectful (laughs) to a mutual friend. But I think it is time to move on to the Chris Reifer Memorial Hot Take interlude. And uh, I'll go ahead and let you go first.
1: All right. Um, We were talking a little bit earlier about the All-Star game and i'm gonna build on that a little bit i actually somebody asked me a question about this on twitter it was already after i'd already put my hot take up here so um i'm gonna address it in in this way um diego valeri was named to the fan 11 for the all-star game and i am sure that had to do with you know him being a fan favorite in portland People, everyone loves Diego Valeri and, and what he's done historically for Timbers the last year, obviously 21 goals, 11 assists, uh, reigning league MVP. Don't think the vote based on this season, if an all-star game is based on, uh, just the season, um, really was, was all that fair. I don't think Diego Valeri should have been the first Timber named the all-star team. I think that should have been Diego Chara. I think that could have been Diego Chara in past years as well. Um, although I think when you look at Larry's numbers last year, that would be an argument that would be much harder to make. Um, but I, I think Chara's dominance in the midfield, what he's able to do for this team on a game-to-game basis, we see the record of this team when is not on the field. They still haven't won in, what is it, 18 games um, without him dating back to 2015. Diego Chara doesn't... I think he gets a decent amount of credit here in Portland, but I I still don't think he gets the credit he deserves. And I think if one Timber was going to be on the fan 11, um, I I think fans should have looked a little bit closer at at who really deserved it based on this year's performance. And I think they should have voted Diego Chara.
0: That is a medium hot take. (laughs) It's not very hot at all. I think the only heat behind it is that it's an all-star game. So of course, somebody that is just coming off an MVP season and is the biggest star on the Timbers by far, is going to get more votes. So that gives your take a little bit of heat, but obviously Diego Chara is a very good player, so I'm not going to sit there and go, no, what are you talking about? There's no way. No, there, there definitely is a way, and it would be nice if players like Diego Chara had a little bit more of the conversation when we're starting to talk about soccer, uh, great soccer players and MLS in general. My hot takes, and I'm really going to try to heat this up, really going to try to heat this up, So I was thinking about what we've seen from Laris Mabiala, particularly over these last twelve MLS games after the team moved on from the slow start, and thinking about how the team has improved. I was also thinking about how Giovanni Savarese has performed in his first season, and it led to my hot take. I think that Laris Mabiala, Giovanni Savarese, when it comes to individual awards, the Defender of the Year, the Coach of the Year awards. I think they should be considered. No, I think they should be considered favorites for these <laughs> honors. I think there hasn't been a central defender that is clearly better than Larius Mabiala. and the Timber's defense has been stellar ever since the first couple games of the season. And show me somebody in this league that has done more, as far as a coach is concerned, than Giovanni Savarese, and I will show you a bad opinion.
1: <laughs>
0: Those two should be favorites.
1: I, I don't think it's as hot as maybe you you made it i don't think i, I don't think they're necessarily i mean I, I i think they both can be in the conversation um for me mabiala it's still early in the season though because i do think the first few games of the season were for him for him were rough uh yes he had a bad preseason a bad first few games and and we're still not at the halfway point so i think if we're talking about him um and, and including the entire season well,
0: diego chirard didn't even play the first two games of the season <laughs> by the way
1: yeah but i think not playing is better than what mavialla did in the first few games i don't think you can talk about him as a contender for that award yet given his full body of work for the year i think he's done a lot better. I think he's been very important for the Timbers recently. But if you're looking at the full-body work, I I would need to see the rest of the year and how it goes You need to
0: also look at the other competition. It's not like there are a ton of awesome center backs out there. There are a couple that really stand out. But I think part of this is that the field isn't really rounding out to have a lot of supreme contenders at that position. Yeah,
1: Uh, and... I, that is certainly part of it. I think on the Sawyersky's side, I, I actually am more inclined to agree with you. I don't necessarily think he would win um, right now because I think a, a team with a better record uh, would yeah. get their coach to win that. But what he's been able to do, and, and I mean, like I, I keep saying over and over again, you know, I am just very impressed with with his how his tactical flexibility ha, has led this team to the NBA and streak they're on.
0: Well, we're going to have to try harder next week to come up with some hot takes because I think we're letting the spirit of that great divider, the person that never wants to get his friends on the podcast, Chris Reifer. (laughs) We've We've got to heat it up for him. But let's go to something that was also hot on Friday in bubbling, swampy Houston, Texas, where the Thorns coming into Friday's game had never scored more than one goal in a game. They'd played six times in Houston before. They'd scored four goals, all spread out over four different games. I guess technically they were spread out over six different games. And the Thorns went in there and beat the Dash 3-1. to one. Uh, Let's go over the prediction review first. Jamie had a 1-1 <laughs> draw, which, as we talked about last week, was the exact same score that the teams had when they met the first time this season at BBVA Compass Stadium. So just like with the Timbers pick, a lot of logic behind it. Not very much spirit of the game in there. Didn't really see that the Thorns were going to produce a decisive result. I'm going to give you 0.21 points for that one.
1: I, I think you're giving me more credit than I deserve for these incorrect ones. But I'll I take just, I'll take the Brownie point. Yeah, I
0: just think the previous podcast scoring system was a little bit dictatorial. I want to at least show you that I respect your process. Now, if you had had a bad prediction and you didn't put any thought behind it and just like, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> kind of like my prediction when I thought the Timbers were going to beat Sporting Kansas City here. I'll give you zero points. As is, I want to acknowledge you a little bit. The side bet, Hayley Rosso scores. Rosso didn't start. She did contribute to some nice build-up play in the second half. Didn't really come that close to scoring. I'm going to have to give myself zero for that one. So not a lot of points being handed out this week. Let's get to the actual game. Jamie, what stood out to you from the Thorns' victory in Houston?
1: I, I just think that Houston has been a tough place for, for teams across the league to play. And we saw... The, the thorns in, in the, that initial game at Houston and sort of have a, a letdown. I think Mark Parsons in their first game of the season came off that um, result saying that he, he wasn't all, all that happy with the performance. So I think from a mentality standpoint and from a confidence standpoint, um, being able to put in a performance like this and get that sort of decisive win is really important for this team. I, I think at the same time, I, I think – The Thorns had a very good first half, but at the same time, they didn't let the second half get away from them like they did a a little bit in in that initial game in Houston the first time around. So I I think overall they managed the game well, Uh, and this is a result I think they can build off of. I mean, they're coming home now, and we'll get to that, um, to face the team, Sky Blue, the team that's been the worst in the league. This is the point in the season where they need to start going on a run, and I could see this potentially being a a result in a win in Houston you look back on and saying this was when they started to turn things on.
0: (laughs) Feels like we've said that two or three times this year with the Thorns.
1: We don't know what's going to happen. It might not. Maybe it's also because, you know, they've been reintegrating um, some of the injured players. So there feels like maybe this hopefulness with Haley Rosso getting the minutes off the bench, Sonnet and French coming back in. Heats injury not necessarily being uh, as bad as maybe we had feared when we first heard that she was injured once again, and the prospect of them integrating all these players and at the same time that they 're able to go to a tough place like Houston and get a win, maybe there 's reasons to to be confident or, or hopeful, um, but like you said I, I mean that 's happened a lot this season, so uh, we really don 't know where it 's going to go next
0: there 's something at every level of the field to talk about, so. We better get to it. I think when you're talking about the aspects that most contributed to Friday's result, the ability to contain Houston and give up what I thought was kind of a little bit of an aberrational goal. I mean, you never want a player to get as deep on the right side that Houston's player was able to get to cut it back, who then saw it had a desperation clearance that went into into French that then (laughs) deflected to Huerta. I mean, you don't want to give up that goal, but it wasn't like some beautiful play or Some obvious breakdown went into it. Around that, I'm not sure Houston had very many good chances at all. To me, and I think Mark Parsons talked about this yesterday in his media availability, you look at Celeste Bure in the middle, coming in when Lizzie Horan is suspended. You look at Andresenia playing, to me, her best game since arriving in Portland. I just didn't feel that they let Houston get any kind of hold on the game, which then kept the pressure on Houston as far as the thorns attack is concerned, and limited the exposure that the thorns defense had.
1: Yeah, I, I think even Mark Parsons pointed out that you know it's it's it makes it a tougher choice on how he sort of wants to set up his midfield. I mean, yeah. we know Haran's going to be coming back in on Wednesday, but uh, around that, um, whether you know uh, Celeste or Andresina stays on the field, or, or what what tweaks he makes based on that performance, because this was a game. I, I, that was a major talking point last week. How does this team survive without Lindsey Horan? And I think it's very easy. They very, they very much could have um, had a major letdown. And if they hadn't been able to control the midfield like they had um, and, and let the absence of Horan sort of dictate the game, um, it, it could have been another poor performance in Houston.
0: When we talk about the defense. I actually, when I was talking to Mark Parsons after the game, I asked him a question, you know, what was it like to have your back five players together for the first time this year? And there was this misunderstanding because he thought I was talking about as if they had played three center backs in a five-person defense. But really what I was talking about was A.D. French, Catherine Reynolds, Emily Sonnet, Emily Menges, Megan Klingenberg together in the lineup starting for the first time this year. They didn't keep a clean sheet, but I thought the control of the game that they had was pretty much what you would want kind of put that question in your head, well, they still gave up an aberrational goal like they did so many times at the beginning of the year. But coming out of Friday's game, I was very comfortable with how the defense played.
1: Yeah, and I think that's been one of the the big points this season is that that defense has been so good the last two years. They conceded the fewest goals in the NWSL in 16 and 17, and that was a huge reason why they won the Shield and then the championship, as much as you look at all the attacking talent on this team has had. And so to get that group back together and potentially what that could mean going into the final half of the season um, is another reason why... Maybe there's a, at least for me, there's a feeling more optimism right now about the Thorns than I've had, I I think, in a while.
0: Well, let's keep it going because if we go to the last part of the field we haven't talked about, (laughs) Anna Cernogosovic has her most effective game as a Thorn. Not only does she score her second goal and has an obvious expression of relief that I can't for (laughs) uh, censorship purposes repeat on this podcast, but she has that brilliant dummy to set up Tobin Heath's opening goal. We saw Tobin Heath come straight back into the 11 after injury. I was a little surprised she started and didn't come off the bench. Yeah,
1: I was surprised. And then
0: uh, Mark Parsons actually had to point this out to me at least. He felt that Ellie Carpenter had her best game of the year in the protection that she was offering down that flank and helping to contain Kaalia Ojai as well as her ability to get up the field and stretch the defense. Those are the three starting attackers. I can't disagree with any of that. I was surprised that the Thorns put in a performance to get three goals on the road to Houston.
1: I, I think this team we we've seen has the attacking talent. It's whether they can put it all together. And they have, you know, they've dealt with Heath being in and out of the lineup. They they've I don't think they've hit their attacking potential like we'd hope they had um, at this point in the season. But when I mean we. Sinclair it I want I want to add you know on her hundredth game I feel like she needs to be talked about as well and the performance she was able (laughs) to play oh yeah her the
0: one person the one person of the whole team I I haven't haven't actually brought up yeah
1: um who also had a goal Um, she she would
0: probably like it that way the fact that she she... (laughs) wasn't mentioned until now
1: but yeah you can see glimpses of the potential if these players are playing their best games and building off this and and this isn't just an aberration. and that's exciting. When the when the defense is functioning like it should and the players on the field and you have the consistency of the back four, back five, you're including French, and then the attack is finding a way to score goals, this team becomes the team it was last year. I mean, they're still missing some key elements from last year, but they become a team that's much tougher to beat and a team that could potentially make a run this year.
0: So one of my first hot takes when you and I started doing this show solo was that, the media for the NWSL was going to find a way to give Sinclair the MVP. She got an absolute gift of a goal on Friday. There's no way Jane Campbell should have allowed that, but she's up to eight goals on the year. Or I think is it it's seven? seven? Seven, But and she's four. leading the league. And or she got it. Well, she sh- she should be up to f- four, f- four assists, or she four on five. She should have gotten an assist on that Tobin Heath goal. So she, sh- I think she's tied with Christine Nairn for uh, the league lead yeah. assist assists too. I mean, if that keeps up, they're going to give her the MVP, whether she actually deserves it or not. I think that there are a number of other players that aren't putting up the same number, that are having the same effect. Crystal Dunn in North Carolina is one that immediately comes to mind. I'm not going to complain if Christine Sinclair <laughs> wins the MVP on numbers because clearly she's one of the most valuable teams in the league. She's part of the reason that Portland continues to, or not continues to, they have fought back to sit fourth in the league now they're tied on points with you uh with seattle uh in third place in the league is it time to stop worrying about the thorns yet
1: oh no it's not time to stop worrying yet oh, but geez. as you've as you've heard from me i have a bit more optimism today but they have to follow this up and they have to and we i think we'll get into that quite shortly um the previewing of this week But they have to follow it up with a win Wednesday, absolutely. There's no excuse not to be sky blue at home, especially with the players they're getting back. And then they have Seattle on Saturday. They they have some big uh, games in front of them, and they have to find a way to get points. They they don't have time anymore to to drop points and say, well, we'll, we need to get better in this aspect, and then we won't make that mistake. It's time for this team to start... Um, putting in these performances consistently and finding a way to to get points and move up the standings.
0: Let me pepper you with some injury stuff and then we can move on to the preview content. Uh, Midge Purse, ankle problem. You reported two or three weeks ago that she was two or three weeks away. Uh, What did Mark Parsons say about her status for this coming week?
1: Yeah, she's uh, questionable for for the Wednesday's game. He he said it was possible she'd be back, and he expected if she wasn't back Wednesday that she would be back Saturday. So uh, another good news for the Thorns, getting players back from injury. Uh, The injury report's not looking nearly as uh, scary as it it was looking a few weeks ago.
0: and Mark Parsons was effusive about that. Even the person that is deemed to be on a long-term injury, Caitlin Ford, the people who came to practice yesterday, the people from the media that came to practice yesterday, got their first glimpse of the Australian international. She's here. She was on a bike. She's walking around, doesn't have a brace on her foot or anything. Did uh, coach Parsons give a status update on her?
1: Yeah. He he said three to five weeks. Uh, she could be back. Um, he- didn't expect it to be shorter, but in the timeline could change. But I think that's pretty exciting given what, um, when we first heard about the injury in February, um, mm. and we we're told July, but potentially even August and, uh, July at the absolute earliest. I think it sounds like it's gone pretty well. Uh, the rehab.
0: Yeah. We're going to see some news in the coming days. If not the coming hours, given when the show is being recorded about some roster moves regarding the thorns and Caitlin Ford being here. Um, I need to ask you at some point, too, because we've been getting Caitlin Ford questions for two or three weeks. And ultimately, when you asked Mark Parsons the question yesterday, the timeline was the same timeline that they've been saying all along. So I need to ask you more about this obsession that some people have with these injuries because nothing much has changed with Caitlin Ford, but we have gotten a lot of questions. And again, it's just one of those questions that makes me wonder if you and I aren't doing our job enough. And maybe we are, but there's something about the fan base that they don't have the right expectations set for Caitlin Ford's return. So maybe that's just anticipation. Maybe that's just what fandom is like. Yeah, I think but, it's
1: fandom and anticipation but, um, and wanting but, to see her on the field. Yeah.
0: The July timeline has been the July timeline mm-hmm. ever since Caitlin Ford ruptured her, um, her tendon in W League play. All right. Two games this week. We're going to have to blow through these. Thorns, Sky Blue, 730, Providence Park. You already alluded to it. Sky Blue, worst team in the league. No wins this year. Two draws, I believe. They are. If they yeah, don't win draws. on Wednesday, they tie an NWSL record for futility to start a season. And that record is currently held by the 2013 Seattle Reign, a team that lost Amy Rodriguez to pregnancy at the start of the year, lost Hope Solo to shoulder surgery, didn't have Megan Rapino as she finished up her season in France before coming over. So those are the depths <laughs> Sky blue is at right now. How can the thorns even try even draw this one
1: I, they shouldn't um, th- this is this is the type of I think you call a trap game um, that the thorns might take this a little bit too lightly at home expect to win and, and Sky blue it's not like they're playing an amateur team they're professional players that are going to take advantage of the thorns make it mistakes but if the thorns play, their game, if they play as well as they play in Houston or probably even a significant drop off from that. If, if they play, um, if they put in a pretty good performance, they should be able to get a result here, a win here. Um, and I, anything less than a win Wednesday uh, would be hugely disappointing. <laughs> that optimism I'm feeling at the moment would, would not exi- exist uh, after tomorrow if, uh, if the Thorns find a way to draw this or, or uh, even lose it.
0: Uh, Lindsay Horan returns from suspension. For people who don't know, it's every three yellow cards at this point that she will earn another suspension, having already picked up five yellow cards this season. Mark Parsons confirmed shock, controversy. She'll be in the starting 11 for Wednesday's game. That leads to the question as to who won't be in the starting 11 or who should be in the starting 11. From your point of view, Jamie, what changes would you make between the team that performed so well and so successfully on Friday, and the team that'll start on Wednesday?
1: I, I think that I I'd still expect, you know, Haley Rosso to probably be on the bench, um, given that she's only seen uh, the 34 minutes in Houston. Uh, I think it's likely that we'll see her used as a sub, um, and maybe for Heath again, depending on her status in terms of going 90, coming off the ankle injury. So that could be. Um,
0: I think that's somebody calling to confirm that she's not going to start. <laughs> that's how good Jamie's sources are. They heard and it's like, no, you can say that. She's definitely not going to start.
1: Um, but I, I, so I think the question is really, you know, is, is Celeste Borea or uh, Andresenia coming off? That's um,
0: a great question.
1: And I think, you know, if we base it on what we've Who seen this season. Who would you
0: start? Who would you start?
1: <sighs> I mean, I, I think probably it, it'll be Andresenia back on and mm-hmm. that's what we've seen this season. Um, but, but Celeste is... Uh, I think really pushing um, to, uh, after that last performance to, to get an opportunity and not just have that be the obvious choice.
0: I completely agree with you. Not only what we saw in Houston, but what we saw when Celeste came on in Chicago too. That was a game where Andresenia didn't really look that good. She looked a little bit out of her element. And the one thing I want to bring up about that is that was a road game against a playoff team that has a strong midfield. On Saturday... The Thorns have a road game against a playoff team that has a strong midfield. So why I bring that up is I don't think the 11 that we're going to see on Wednesday, particularly the quick turnaround time, the fact that both games are on turf, is necessarily the 11 we're going to see on Saturday. It's a much different challenge when the Thorns are going to be at Memorial Stadium to take on a Seattle team that is currently even with them in the standings. It's the first time they've been up there to face the rain since Laura Harvey left. I personally think the rain are stronger. I think the people that came to Providence Park to see the first game against the rain this year probably saw that, the way that Vladko andnovsky's team played. I I almost feel weird asking you this. I almost reflectively ask you this. Well, what should we expect out of this game? It's really weird to ask what to expect out of a game when there's another game in between. Yeah. Like, who's even going to play? Who's going to be healthy? Like, if the... If the Thorns lose 3 to nothing on Wednesday, which <laughs> hopefully for everybody's sake here won't happen, there's probably going to be major changes or a different approach. It's so weird to talk about a game two steps into the future.
1: Yeah, I don't think we can really make too many predictions about the game in Seattle. We know that um, and in that game Saturday at 7 p.m. We know that that has traditionally been a really tough place uh, for the Thorns to play. Um, We've seen some very bad results from the Thorns um, there. Uh, Some of the worst blowouts they've had have happened um, up in Seattle. Um, We've seen also pretty decent performances up there as well. I think it does depend a decent amount on Wednesday. I I think if they win Wednesday, they'll be carrying a little bit more momentum into that game. I do think it wouldn't be surprising to see some lineup changes just because of the short turnaround, especially with a few players like Heath, for example, that are maybe coming off injuries and, and minutes could be a factor. Uh, and so we could see some changes. There could be even a formation change depending on the personnel available. But I, I think to some degree, like you, you allude to, it, it's dependent on Wednesday's game uh, because they're either going to be coming off that with a lot of momentum, feeling a lot of confidence based on some sort of performance or, or formation they rolled out, or they're going to be coming off that game in a little bit of a desperation um, mindset and somehow let something get away from them and have to rethink their approach heading towards Seattle.
0: 11 games left in the season. There are currently three teams tied on 19 points, battling for two playoff spots in the NWSL, the third and fourth spots. We'll see how it, uh, we'll see how it turns out. The sh- show's running long, but I still want to hit these questions very quickly for you uh, regarding the Thorns, mostly because I want to encourage people to send in more Thorns questions, so let's not ignore these. Justins, can, Justin asks, can you convince me that Gavin Wilkinson is doing a good job for the Thorns? It's a little bit weird that somebody needs convincing on this one.
1: Yeah, I I think, look, we talked about it in the show already. The Thorns played with their back line for the first time, their starting back line this season, just last week. And look at the injuries they've had on the attacking side, too. This team won the NWSL Shield in 16, won uh, the championship last year, has kept a lot of those same players together. uh, that, That... led them to be one of the best teams in the nwsl in the last two years yes north carolina has also done really well um as well and has running away with it this year and maybe people want to wonder why the thorns aren't the level of north carolina at the same time the thorns have dealt with way more injuries and that has been a huge factor um but coming off an nwsl championship i think that's it's just not a question that should be asked right now um yes if they don't perform this year and then come out next year and have a have a flat year and don't make enough changes in the offseason then you start wondering why they're not um getting better personnel but coming off a championship keeping the core together making a few changes that have looked okay so far um but not having a chance to even put to the lineup they want together throughout the year i, I mean caitlin ford was one of the biggest signings of the offseason and she hasn't even played there's no way for a general manager to predict that so given that this team hasn't even been able to put close to their best lineup out um i, I just don't think it's fair to question uh what the general manager is doing at this point.
0: point three major trophies in five years has one of the two or three deepest rosters in the NWSL. And I think it's just, uh, as far as talent is concerned, I think it's kind of a toss-up between Portland, North Carolina, and Chicago as far as pure star power. No other general manager has been able to convince players the talent of Amandine Henri and Nadine Onger to come over. And then when you look at the times he's had to fill his coaching positions, replacing Sidney Parlocone with Paul Riley, who it didn't work out here, but he was by far the best candidate out there. And then when it was clear that Paul wasn't working here, he went and got Mark Parsons, who was the best young coach in the league. I don't know what criteria we're judging general managers on, but it feels like only almost any reasonable criteria would reflect very well on Gavin Wilkinson. Um, Emma asks, when Haley Rosso is back playing the full 90. Will we see Carpenter more at outside back?
1: I think it's going to be really interesting when Rass was back at the full 90 and Midge Purse is also back. What, what the thorns are going to do because somebody has to come out, uh, with those three. Um, and, So I I think it's going to be a competition. I I don't think Purse is definitely guaranteed to come back on, but she showed very well um, that there's a reason why she got a national team call-up that led to this injury based on her performance this season and how well she's done for the Thorns. I think Carpenter's shown really well. We just talked about this being her best performance, and we know what Rasso can do. So I I don't know how to answer that question. I think it's going to be a very tough decision uh, when all three of those players are healthy.
0: And Catherine Reynolds is a starting right back when yes, they're playing four at the back. that
1: is adding that on. <laughs> yeah,
0: so uh, it doesn't look good for Ellie Carpenter, and I think there's a reason why Mark Parsons keeps reiterating she's 18 years old. Uh, final question from Reed. How many of the Thorns' defensive problems will be or are covered up by A.D. French?
1: A.D. French comes up with big saves that Brick, Britt Eckerstrom doesn't. And that that's just a fact. I, I mean, a, there's a reason why 80 French was the NWSL goalkeeper of the year. And so, yes, she covers up some mistakes, but I think when you look at the biggest mistakes that Thor's have had this season, I, I think it comes down to a lot more of the defensive inconsistency and individual errors that we just weren't seeing from this back line, uh, in the last few years. And, and so I don't think 80 French has to cover up as many mistakes, um, in, in the last few years, she hasn't had to, um, As we've seen this year and I think there is reason to hope that that's going to change um, that there's going to be more consistency as that back line is, is they're able to roll out that back line more often.
0: Best goalkeeper in the NWSL. I don't think it's particularly close. Let's go to predictions because we already covered World Cup stuff earlier in the show. We would normally do that right here. Now we're going to go to the three predictions we have to make. We'll kind of go in chronological order here. We'll just do Thorns first because Thorns play on Wednesday. Uh, Thorns versus Sky Blue. Jamie, your prediction?
1: I I think this is going to be a decisive win for the Thorns and I think it should be. So I'm predicting Thorns three, Sky Blue zero.
0: And I'm going for a, a low point return bet on this one i say that sky blue gets less than four shots on target i just don't think that uh sky blue is going to have very much success against this defense we've been talking about all show let's go to saturday's second portland game up in seattle at memorial stadium thorns versus rain
1: I, I think that the Thorns are, are going to put in a decent performance, but it is Seattle. It is on the road. Uh, so I'm going to predict a 1-1 one, one draw. I don't think they're going to get three points here.
0: So this one, I'm going for a little bit more points because based on specificity alone, because I really liked the one prediction I made about Modu Jadama scoring on a corner kick in the first half <laughs> of the Open Cup game. So this one's a little bit more specific. I say Lindsey Horan is going to get booked again for a foul on a specific player. If she commits it on Ali Long, don't give me the points. I mean, give me some points, but don't give me full points. If she commits it on Bev Yanez or Megan Rapinoe, don't give me the points. Jessica Fishlock. She will commit a booked foul on Jessica Fishlock. <laughs> All right. All right, let's go to Timbers, Sounders, CenturyLink, Saturday Afternoon. Jamie.
1: I think the Timbers are going to get their first regular season win uh, at Seattle, and it's going to be a 1-0 win. It's going to be one of those um, hard-fought, probably a lot of foul-type games, but uh, the Timbers are the better team, and they're going to find a way to win.
0: And my prediction is based on the fact, as we talked about earlier in the show, when Alvis Powell is on, Alvis Powell is on. And based on the way that Seattle defends and the personnel that they have going up against him, I think Alvis is going to score his second goal of the year. It won't be as cool as the Minnesota goal, probably. But we saw this weekend he was getting himself into the 18 a lot. I think Seattle is a team that tends to like to be a little bit more compact at times. I think they'll give him opportunities to get some shots off. Again, I'm going for some points here. I'm going with an (laughs) an Alvis Powell goal. Fantasy. Fantasy. Did Chris actually tell us where he's ranking?
1: Uh, no, I didn't ask, but I did, I did get the full name. Actually, this wasn't even me asking Chris, but, uh, one of our listeners clarified for me. I got the full name of our third place team, which is, uh, racing club de Montevilla, uh, Hmm. my neck of the woods. So I feel bad that I didn't know that. Um, it's had with 1618 points. Second place this week is Rip City Blues with 1,624 points. And Beer City FC is still on top with uh, 1,735 points. Um, and that's all. Uh, we're Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, you can find us every week um, on Sumtown Footy, Oregon Live, and Timbers.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care.